0: Welcome to our podcast. I'm Josh Way.
1: I'm Dan Hammer.
0: And we listen to commentaries. This is a show where we talk about movies by listening to other people talking about movies. How are you, Dan?
1: And we do a great job at it. I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm hyped. Uh, Let's see. Did you see... I'm going to ask you this on purpose this time. Did you see anything good this week?
1: You know, I didn't see anything good or bad. I didn't make it to the theater this week. I instead stayed home and watched Shrill on Hulu. Oh, okay. I'm hearing a lot about that show. It is actually really good. Really good. I like Aidy Bryant, and this just kind of shows a little bit more of her than you get to see on SNL. Oh, good. And it is a great cast of characters and a cool story. I would highly recommend it.
0: Great. I kind of like what's happening in uh, streaming comedy lately. Maybe what happened with like TV drama five years ago. Where you, it's you know just new and exciting frontiers and and experimentation. We're getting like you know pen fifteen and and shrill and I don't yeah.
1: Know. I mean shrill seemed it read it um, it registered really really real for me that in one sense you're looking at this character and she has her flaws and you're kind of yelling at her about her choices. But you know that's just how real people are. They make all sorts of choices that I might
0: not right. agree with. Right. <laughs>
1: And yet, I still, I still like them. Yeah. So, what did you see this week?
0: I have to check my AMC app because I don't remember. So maybe that answers the question. <laughs> Real that good, huh? Oh, I saw *Captive State*. That's why I had to look it up.
1: Oh, I almost went to see that yesterday and and didn't. But what did you think of it?
0: Well, I liked it, and I gave it a mostly positive uh, review on Letterboxd and on Twitter, where I <laughs> on Twitter I said it was pretty good. And the director liked my tweet. That's but I, right. I also insulted. I said it was the marketing was bad. And I think maybe that's the part that he was liking because directors aren't right. usually happy with the marketing of their movies. But it's good, although it's another one of the it's I see so many movies. If they're if they're not great, I tend to I guess I'm really generous in the movie going adventure because I like with uh, Cold Pursuit. I came out saying, yeah, no, that was good. That was really good. And then the more I've lived with it, I'm like, I don't know. Captive State is interesting. It's an original science fiction concept. It's uh, very serious and it's very intense and it's challenging. It doesn't spoon feed you. It doesn't give you what you want. But that's also kind of its weakness, I think, because it's it's to the point of being dour. And you just have to be on board or you're not going to have a fun time.
1: I mean, is it an interesting premise?
0: It is. So what it is, is the, uh, it's an alien invasion movie, which we've had, you know, too many of probably, but it's an, it's a kind of a new angle where it's 10 years later. And so the invasion already happened. We don't see any of that. We just see, uh, our world, but it's kind of the way it. there's, there's this group of world politicians who kind of came together in a, in a sort of a, show of unity but they were basically surrendering to the aliens and so they are kind of the go-between between between humans who are now kind of fighting in the streets and then the aliens who treat these politicians like a favored class and Mm -hmm. then it's kind of about uh some freedom fighters which is an interesting thing to not have the novelty be oh we're being invaded and this is what the alien looks like and whatever it was a lot more about the politics and the fallout and all that
1: yeah, so I mean, that's kind of the world we live in right now where the bad stuff has already happened. Right. And so now we're just living in it.
0: And it's about the complicit, wealthy, <laughs> elite class and everybody right. else who's just calling each other uh, various names on Twitter. Yeah.
1: Right. And I'm just kind of going along with all of it.
0: Uh, that's, so I guess that's a tepid rep- recommendation on Captive State.
1: I'll probably end up going to it. Um, I've sat through so much worse lately. There you know, serenity... horrible horrible film yeah what was the one what was the one with keanu not too long
0: ago oh replicas
1: yeah maybe i kind of i enjoyed that because that was so bad
0: i never caught up with that one but i will be streaming it at my first convenience oh
1: yeah it's real bad
0: sounds great i mean it just it it sounds delicious
1: i was maybe gonna go to uh five feet apart because i was hearing good things about the the actress's performance. I mean, I've seen the actors probably good too, but
0: I heard, yeah, I heard that they're both stars and that's, that's really all I'm hearing about it is performances, but that's You know, that, that can do it. That's good.
1: You know, is it just like the fault in our stars again? What is there a fresh take here?
0: I don't know. Is it just that they're both ill with the same disease and they, they literally can't be within five feet of each other.
1: I mean, that seems like pushing daisies without the charm. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a bummer that they're (laughs) ill.
0: Yeah. Um, hey, but also this week we get to see, uh, well, I get to see us. I know you're going I'm, to.
1: I, I'm going to see us. on. We're going on Saturday morning. Excellent. Because that was the one window of time. So the next time we speak,
0: out. we will have both yes. seen it.
1: We will have. Us and I'm a, a frady
0: cat. I mean, I'm not really. I love horror movies, but I still have this thing from childhood for like loud, mm. visceral horror in the movie theater. So I'm making myself go because I really want to be in on this one.
1: Yeah, I don't like just you know jumps and scares. I I particularly don't like to watch prolonged suffering as the point of uh, of a movie. Uh, but when it's got a great vision and a great look and it makes you think, you know, Jordan yeah. Peele is just so so wonderful.
0: Yeah, um, you know it's going to have something to say and it's going to be yeah worth spending time with. The trailer w- upset me. It's I did not mm. I don't really get it. I don't pull I having trouble getting any themes out of it or anything at all but it just looks intriguing the uh the only other trailer that upset me more than that one recently was hereditary and oh the movie ended up being pretty much as upsetting as the trailer was
1: yeah hereditary i mean i don't remember the trailer now um it, it was upsetting in, in the best way that was a that was a great movie yeah
0: and i don't know that us will be as will be quite that out there in terms of the horror i think it'll be a little more of an allegory and a little more like a thriller but very excited
1: yeah i don't know what's going on with those rabbits i mean after yeah. the favorite right. i kind of eh, i don't need more rabbits yeah. no. no and i don't i don't like scissors Like people going around with mm-hmm. scissors that doesn't seem like anything good comes of that
0: unless it's edward scissorhands and he has a heart of gold and he's using it to make friends but but that, I don't, that, that doesn't went seem wrong. to be
1: what these folks are up to no they they seem kind of sinister and nefarious.
0: Hey, so do you want to talk about a little movie news? I've got some, I,
1: I want to hear some movie news.
0: I've got some movie headlines oh, here. Uh, and I want, I want Dan takes on these. Okay. All right. Uh, lay <laughs> them on me this week. Uh, now notoriously James Gunn has been rehired by Disney to direct guardians of the galaxy. Volume three.
1: I read that. So, um, just get me up to date. What were his crimes?
0: Okay. So, Really to do right by him a long time ago, upwards of a decade ago, he wrote some, he was kind of a Twitter troll and Mm -hmm. he wrote, uh, some really offensive jokes in tweets on topics that are considered taboo pedophilia and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but somewhere also in that last decade, he had actually owned up to those tweets, apologized for them, wrote something. And I think variety, publicly apologizing and say that he he was working on himself and whatever so fast forward to last year I guess it was uh when alt-right uh I don't even want to say the guy's name an alt-right uh provocateur dug up Mm -hmm. these tweets again and started a campaign uh to get him fired and it worked Disney it was enough noise from these uh alt-right types that they kicked him off the project and then here we are now they hired him back yeah
1: you know that makes sense to me i don't really know that you know franchise or know what his worth is there it seems pretty great but what i've been seeing is fans of the movie and that series were pretty happy that they changed their mind
0: on that yeah i'm happy about it i mean it's not i'm not I I get what's going on. I mean, they're building the second guardians of the galaxy attraction at Disneyland right now. So this is about business as much as anything. They need that franchise with, you know, with this Avengers movie that's coming out next month kind of represents the end of this big phase. So they need something to keep this going so that people are still excited and about the, uh, the franchise. So, and I personally guardians of the galaxy is It's probably my favorite sub series of Marvel movies. And he's he's a good filmmaker. He made weird, quirky horror movies before he was working for them. He made a movie called Super with Rain Wilson that I didn't love, but he made a movie, a horror movie called Slither that I enjoy very much. With I
1: probably saw Slither. Elizabeth Banks like a, and Nathan Fillion. Yes, and, that sounds ex- like exactly the sort of like, movie that I'd go to. A
0: lot of little slugs crawling inside people, and Michael Rooker right. becoming this big, bloated, you know, prosthetic monster. It was fun. It's great.
1: Yeah, like I love to cancel people. You know, I'm all I'm all in on cancel culture. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, I mean, this kind of sounds like no one was really offended. It sounds like no, and s- it was someone, yeah. it, At this point, right? And someone just made a bunch of noise, and I can't imagine the stuff that I might have said ten years ago. And you
0: know, sure. I mean, I can tell you, I can call and... it up. <laughs> we, we have the message threads going back. Oh no, <laughs>
1: I'm like a little torn right now because I kind of want to cancel myself, but also. Right you know sure. i am myself
0: that sounds like a, a relief actually to, to be to cancel yourself before <laughs> anybody else can <laughs>
1: right but yeah right. it was so like, I,
0: it was a bad faith move by some idiots you know it was not a legitimate right. exactly there was no real concern right it
1: wasn't that someone who had been harmed by the sort of content that he put out there was calling for this not to happen it was for someone who say hey you need to be offended by right. this
0: it was a chance yeah. to take a uh, a a prominent twitter liberal down a peg that's all it was and you know a lot of them could use that but this time
1: right. no i'm kind of I'm kind of okay right. with it <laughs> right.
0: but i want to see this movie so i'm happy that this is uh, gone this way the okay. interesting well, thing now not to get back into the dc marvel thing that we got into last week but uh he in the time that he was fired he got hired by warner brothers to make the sequel to suicide squad and apparently that's still happening. So he's actually now directing major sequels in both the Warner Brothers DC Comics and the Disney Marvel Comics universes, which is
1: unprecedented. Right. So when the alt-right closes a door,
0: right. as they say. right, That old saying. Yep.
1: <laughs> they open a window if they had one in the basement apartment where they live. Right.
0: Exactly. It opens a, uh, it opens a Reddit tab. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, um, well, well done. All right. Thanks. Well, I have two more headlines, but one of them is really stupid. One of them is that the child stars of Tim Burton's Dumbo uh, accused Colin Farrell of filling the onset swear jar. That oh. was definitely. Worth I mean, is that?
1: <laughs> Is that is that a surprise? I know. I don't, Why did they have an on-set swear jar? And wouldn't the kids just be swearing too? Like it sounds like there I was some of, kind
0: of a corporate mandate. We got to have some Dumbo content. What do you say about Tim Burton's Dumbo? Right. Let's interview the kids and maybe. Yeah, that's except just, no
1: one is looking forward to being no, depressed. No. That sounds so sad. Like the cartoon, it still makes yeah. me sad. I don't want to go well, watch the car- it. I certainly don't want to yeah. watch an actual adorable elephant.
0: And then the life. thing that gets me is I love Dumbo, and it is heart wrenching. But it's a it's nice and short. It's animated. It's beautiful. Mm. Tim Burton is going to add so much lore. He's going to make it convoluted. It's going to have so much CG. It's going to be long. It's going to have weird tangents. It doesn't need to have. Uh, not preemptively, not a fan.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll we'll return to it probably I'm sure at some sure.
0: point. Yeah, when when I'm all out of other titles and I. So many times I see trailers and I say, I'm not going to see that. And then I see it. And the weird thing is I usually like them. So like fighting with my family. And uh, there was another one that I swore I wouldn't. Oh, uh, the boy who the kid who would be king. Mm. Uh,
1: I will not. I will never see either of those. I mean it.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) you're a man of principle and you stick to them. All right. Well, let's uh, take a break. And then we're going to talk about our commentary for this week for a movie that I think we both like quite a bit. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back. This week, we're talking about uh, the commentary track on the Blu-ray for the Damien Chazelle film, First Man. Dan, I think this week, you might have more to say about the movie than I do. And I do have some things to say about the commentary, but uh, we'll find our way through this discussion. So do you want to talk about the movie to get us started?
1: Well, sure. Are we talking facts or how we felt about it or just anything?
0: yeah, what's your I guess what's your relationship to the movie before we talk about the commentary, uh we'll, we'll just say a word about what what Sure.
1: I I really liked First Man and I think it didn't get a fair shake in the industry this past year. I thought it was kind of a sad um piece of the awards season story that you know, Chazelle's at the top of his game, you know, he's going to be nominated for an Oscar every film he does. And this is a space movie that to me is quite unlike other space movies. It's beautiful. It's quiet. It's a really wonderful, intimate portrait of Neil Armstrong and how his grief guided his career trajectory, the relationship with he and his wife. And to me, it's a sort of movie that in the 90s or the 2000s would have been the best picture winner or certainly a top contender, um, back to the days when films could actually get you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen nominations. It ha- you know it had it in every category, mm-hmm. and then it was just sort of singled out as a of the wrong virtue signal for the GOP, and they're saying if you go to this, basically you've betrayed your place on our team, right. um, because there was you know not that flag inserting moment, right. And it underperformed in a in a very interesting way. you know it was projected to make twenty million on its opening weekend, and it only made sixteen hmm. and four million short um if you consider an average ticket price, you know how many seats are we actually talking about? you know a few hundred thousand, and I could certainly see that being represented by people on the right who don't want to betray their team yeah um, and somewhat ironically, I feel like you know, good old fashioned 1960s white man forward Americana legend should have appealed to that crowd, you know, much like almost like American right. Sniper did a couple of years ago and became the top grossing FOMO that year. But ultimately, yeah. the domestic box office was, you know, under 50 million and didn't even hit the budget number. It did, you know, worldwide. But
0: yeah, um, another yeah. bad faith attack, really, because Uh, It makes it seem like this is a bunch of, you know, leftist millennials who are trying to like twist the story. And I mean, this is a movie made in conjunction with the families and then with NASA and the accuracy was it was the thinking behind the the way they handled the landing and the flag moment was more about kind of universal appeal than it was anything political. So that was very unfortunate.
1: And it was about his inner life. Yeah, And, you know, the thought of maybe what did he do when no one was watching right. on the moon? Um, I think that it was just a fascinating take and yeah. haunting and beautifully done by all of the creators. And you don't have to like it if you don't like mm-hmm. it. But it was attacked on the left as well because it's mm-hmm. about a white man and a group of white men, which it actually kind of was in, mm-hmm. in the 60s, not to discount that, you know, the place of other people there. But in the case of this story, it really was about Neil Armstrong, who was a white yeah. man.
0: I remember some criticism, too, about uh, Gosling's performance, kind of stoic and internalized. But I mean, he's playing an astronaut and he's playing Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Um. So I, I saw Apollo 11, which is amazing. The IMAX documentary that's all actual 70 millimeter footage of of the uh, the moon launch and all that. And it has lots of footage of Armstrong. And he's a little more smiley than Gosling, but he is very much, you know, these guys were hired because they could internalize, they were analytical, they would not be emotional in response. But that to me was the key to the power of this movie, is that you you don't have people playing out wild emotions in the foreground with their acting and their gesticulating. You have it all internalized. It's in the score, it's in the subtlety of, of, of his face and the acting, and then it's all in that moon landing sequence. It's, it's beautiful. It's powerful.
1: Yeah, it's, and it was such a surprising year the way things all shook out because after it missed its expectations at the box office, it was almost like everyone decided it was a loser. And, yeah. I mean, films that have done way worse than that have gone on to do way better. In the awards circuit, and awards aren't everything, but they are kind of the story in the industry that year. And when I consider the Globe nominees, let's say, where you've got Bohemian Rhapsody winning Best Drama at the Golden Globes, you know, and Green Book In for Comedy, it's very interesting yeah. category placement that there just isn't room for a film like that to take a win.
0: I also, we, there's this kind of thing I think we're coming out of, I don't know, maybe we're still in it, maybe I'm naive, but this uh, this need to have an authentic film of every recent historical event so that we can mm. feel like we've nailed it down somehow. And I just, uh, that's one of the weird things we'll get into about the commentary too is that they have a lot to say about the accuracy and they're constantly insisting on the accuracy but then also kind of tipping their hat to what they had to change. I, I feel like we just kind of need to let that go and acknowledge that that's kind of a, of a, smokescreen anyway. I mean you're always seeing a subjective, artistic, creative, uh just because the the film techniques make you feel like you were there. And that to me is one of the uh, Mm -hmm. apart from the emotion and the performance, it the the white knuckle terror of being there's nothing glamorous about space travel in this movie. You cannot believe that people actually willingly got inside those capsules and and went on those missions.
1: Right. It always seems like it's so sleek and it's state of the art and it's the future when you're looking at any space movie and that was the accuracy that I think they captured or what I imagine is the accuracy, right? Maybe they made that up too, but just from the opening sequence of it just being so jarring and rattling yeah. and it's unlike other space movies. I To me, it took a step forward.
0: So the commentary track participants are Damien Chazelle, the director, Josh Singer, the writer, and the editor whose name I believe is Tom Cross.
1: That's what I wrote down in my notes.
0: Okay. And uh, at first, Chazelle kind of takes the lead, but I felt like eventually the writer kind of dominates this track, at least with his personality. You know, we had a very interesting thing last week with Cabin Boy where it was this kind of moratorium, this kind of autopsy, this uh, shameful revisiting of something bad. This is a... Uh, a big movie being revisited now by the people who just made it. I think it's a good example of a commentary. I like this commentary. I think it's nice. It's a little bit, um, it's not as the dynamics were a little harder to read. These guys seem to respect and like each other. And it might be a little dry. You act, you really have to be interested in the movie first man to want to get through this thing. But as we go through, I'll point out a couple of things. There are some things, I guess I'll call them commentary tropes that, that, appear here we'll collect them as we go and then we'll kind of tick them off as we find them but um know overall do you have any impressions of this commentary before we get a little more specific
1: well i think that what you said is right they are doing it and they're being professionals and something that kind of crossed my mind as i'm listening is i'm wondering where the like emotion is between the three of them that was so clearly present in their work these people yep. are artists of depth and at the same time, I mean, they almost spoke like they were in a NASA control room. I felt throughout yeah. and very very matter of fact. I found it difficult to distinguish at times who was doing the talking mm-hmm. unless they were talking specifically about the right. like, matter of craft that they were that they were yeah. giving to the moment they were discussing
0: here's how I kind of tracked things uh, in terms of the personalities. At first, for the first 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, I was writing down, you know, very straightforward, uh, no real dynamic, a lot of respect and and whatever. But then I started to pick up on iDynamic as they went. And maybe this is just the number of, of commentaries or because I this is my second time listening to this commentary also. So that might... Um, I know that's insane, but it's true. Uh, I feel like the writer has a, a type a personality and so they end up spending a lot of time talking about what changed between script and movie and it's all very friendly and they pick on each other but more more than once the writer says something like yeah you threw out what was in the script and you did something different here mm-hmm. i really love it it's really great and i wondered if that was a little bit of a you know his way of kind of just bringing it up airing it out
1: yeah i think the writer led the discussion for sure and I liked the editor. The editor seemed like he was on his own plane. He didn't realize, for example, that Claire Foy is British, which I kinda like. Right. Yeah. That you're right. just here, you're doing your work, you're receiving what comes to you, and you're taking what you see at face value. You're not um so into the world of entertainment yourself necessarily that you would right. recognize that a you know, fairly prominent <clears throat> actress right now. Yeah. Um is of a of another uh and that's a, re- a
0: good opportunity to talk about something that, uh, as someone who has listened to many, many audio commentaries, when you get the technical guys, the VFX guys, the editors, the sound guys, you're kind of in a different world. These are not mm-hmm. people who are red carpet, award season type people. These are the guys. So these are the guys who refer to movies as shows, you know, right. or 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 they call the studios like Disney's and Warners. Like they just have a whole different vernacular. They think about movies differently. It's a job they get to work on a product, to work on a, uh, you know, to do their craft. And they just kind of show up and, and they love actors and writers and stuff, but that's just not their world. They're supposed to cobble this actual film together. And that's an interesting thing that I think there's less and less of. A lot of commentaries now are are, are mostly actors and directors, but uh, on, on a lot of the old special effects movies, you'd have like a track where you just have the technicians and that's kind of the vibe of those, um, two, uh, two commentary tropes that I want to use this, uh, as an example of are hyperbolic praise of actors, um, in commentaries, actors can do no wrong. The The older and the more kind of Hollywood people are, the more ridiculous it gets. But that was something I picked up on in this one.
1: Well, I mean, what are you going to say? Right. You know, Ryan Gosling, you know, that one day it's kind of kind of an asshole to me. Right. You know, no, he's, he's a really good actor Yeah, that right. did, did his job consummate pro.
0: But uh, the other one is at the end of the commentary, ev- almost every commentary, when you get to the end, they're like, well, if anybody's still listening to this and then they kind of make jokes <laughs> about uh, if you're still here, I guess uh, we'll tell you a couple more. Like it would like it's it's normal to listen to the commentary, but listening to the whole thing is something that nobody expects you to do, I guess.
1: Well, it's like what they should do at the beginning with that logic is, well, if you're listening at all, here we go with the right. commentary. <laughs> right. You know, well, if someone's there, they're there. And if they they're should, not, they're yeah. not. I thought it was interesting because I actually had like five notes about the credits.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> that, yeah. yeah.
1: That I felt there was a sudden change in tone when they hit the credits. Um, At first, when they start to run, they're still yammering on whatever they were talking about. Like they don't realize it's over. And then right. suddenly a change in tone where they're laughing they're kind of being a little ironic with each other in a way that I hadn't heard earlier, Yeah, like personalities were coming out and then they're kind of talking about how, well, you know, we put this awesome, you know, you know, historic communication audio, you know, from NASA at the very end of the credits. as like a special treat for people Mm -hmm. would stay through the credits. And like with a slow rolling credit, I mean, it is a wonderful score. I'll give, I will give it that, but I am not a credit stayer, you know, through the end, I sure. don't care if I miss a big piece of information or, you know, some joke. I just right. want to be done when I'm done. Mm-hmm. But if people want to stay for the credits, good for them. And they were just so proud that yeah. they had right. the audio of these comments, so like because they were so excited about it. I held on, right to the end, to the very end. Yeah. And then I'm just like listening, and it's just like, beep. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. <"Beep." Just> like <laughs> what the
0: fuck, right. Like, what? So, yeah, I guess um, we can compare notes a little bit. There's just a few things that I um, I liked. The Theremin talk, it was a little bit of a crowded commentary to begin with, but I kind of wish that Justin Hurwitz had been included, at least maybe, mm. edit, you know, sometimes they'll edit in multiple parties and they don't have to all be talking the whole time, but it would have been nice to hear from him. I think he was on the La La Land commentary, if I remember correctly, but it's, it's <laughs> an amazing score
1: right i mean for la la land that was so much a central part of the story was the score hmm. but i feel just as much for this one to me it's an all-time favorite and successful yeah film score it was creative and weird and different and it just set the mood for the um kind of gasliness
0: yeah of it's harrowing going. it's it's yeah. really it gets me every time i hear it and i love the choice of the theremin which is thematically uh because i guess he takes an, a record of theremin music with him on in the capsule but uh, just mm. the choice of that instrument which to me always sound i mean it's usually used in a silly way to invoke space and you know 50s monster movies or whatever but using it in that kind of stark lilting way to me it always sounds just enough like a human voice that it like mm. it really just pierces me in the heart and i i, I love that part of the score uh, to me at this point they i feel like chazelle and Hurwitz are the, the you know what Steven spielberg and williams were in the 70s and 80s like i just can't wait to see what they do next
1: right i mean can you imagine if this had been or something like this for the time had been a spielberg film in yeah. you know 96 or something mm-hmm. like that i mean i guess that would have been right after apollo 13 right but that would How have been there... just like spielberg just like yes, Spielberg.
0: Totally. Right. <laughs> Got oh, a one that, up Howard. Cute one, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Check this out. How has there not really been it. an Apollo 11 movie yet? That's I don't know. Crazy. I mean, besides the one that Stanley Kubrick made.
1: Well, there is that.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's the stuff about the moon in the kitchen. I appreciated that. How, um, that was their kind of boiling down of the essence of this movie that it was about the cosmic, but also the, the intimate, it was about the real people who lived in a cabin, um, right. And they the unbelievable anxiety and that's this whole story is just this amazing achievement that was uh, accomplished by normal people. And the fact that moms and kids were just expected to sit home and wait for them to come back.
1: She was strong as horseradish. That's right. I Yeah, I thought hearing them talk about the movie was interesting. And because, of course, it's their movie and they've done a lot more thinking about it that, than I have. They were able quite easily to put into words what I drew away from it, you know, in fits and starts as a viewer about how really the real mission is about landing on earth. And that's the newness. Like you say about the kitchen, like in throughout, there's always something new going on. There's a new challenge or a new home or new neighbors, the same way that for most people landing on the moon would be disorienting or a brand new experience almost for Neil and his family, they're going through, you know, a new grief even. Right. And for him, he needed to go away, but really it was his ability to land on earth and be present with his, with his family was what the mission was really about.
0: One comment that they made that I found interesting was that they had to, I think, uh, quote, streamline the tragedy that they actually removed some tragic events from his life because it just seemed too much. It seemed like they were piling it on for dramatic effect and pulling back actually made the story more digestible. Uh, there was a whole scene, which is actually on the Blu-ray, where their cabin burns down. Right. Um, and it wasn't really necessary. It, you know, it's a self-contained scene. But, of course, the denouement of the whole uh, tragedy of Neil Armstrong is the, the crater scene, the moon scene. They essentially admit that they made up the bracelet scene, but they kind of make their case for justifying it by saying enough people think it's a nice idea of the, of the real people, the family and the other astronauts that they felt justified.
1: That's the best kind of license. You know, they said the, really the story is a ghost story and there's death looming everywhere nearby. And that's kind of what the moon landing is supposed to be about. Like you've landed in this ghastly place and that's where he's going to have his catharsis with his daughter. And that would make a lot of sense where he walked over to this place where he wasn't supposed Mm -hmm. to go and no one knows what or if he did anything there. And if that were going to be a moment where he could leave something of hers there so as to always be able to look up and feel a connection to her, I can understand that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it feels, I don't know, it feels artistically right. It feels correct uh, whether or not it's in the realm of true, especially given how authentic and kind of, you know, by the numbers so much of the recreation is that that again that feels like a a spielberg flourish right where you have to have that emotional punch uh at the climax of the story and it worked for me
1: yeah i mean i'm okay when they make a biopic of my life to show me doing something beautiful and generous of soul um even if it didn't happen (laughs) sure it's good to get that out "Mm, there yes i remember (laughs) that Mm. (laughs)
0: Is that like a new kind of medic alert bracelet that tells whether or not it's okay to invent episodes in your biopic?
1: Right. It's okay if, to, uh, if they have something like that. I'll I'll totally sign right. off on that. I have too Donate many uncles.
0: I have too many uncles. It's okay to composite them into one character. It's all right.
1: <laughs> Nick and Steve. It's just my uncle Reeve. Uh.
0: All right, wrapping up. Do you uh what do you think about this commentary? Do you recommend that people listen to this commentary? Is it justified and existing and worth listening to?
1: It is absolutely justified and existing and it's an excuse to watch a really great movie again and hear the people just sort of describe their process. You know, they're I don't, you know, get too much into the mundane trivia, but Like the idea that the screenwriter sat down and wrote 40 pages of additional dialogue for mission control agents because all of that murmuring, it couldn't be improvised. You know, the screenwriter is responsible for this. Just the the heart and the soul and the time and all the beauty that they poured into this and to hear them talk about it for themselves, I thought was really great. What did you think?
0: I enjoyed it very much. I think they don't make as many, uh, you know, commentaries. Might be a dying art, especially as a uh, mm-hmm. as physical media t- begins to disappear. Man- Blu-ray player manufacturers are dropping like flies. So this uh, might be the last decade for physical media, and uh, they're not likely to start including this kind of stuff on streaming services. They do a little bit on some of the Disney movies anywhere stuff, but uh, anyway, yes. I very much enjoyed this commentary. I think it's worthwhile. The The movie is absolutely worth watching. And I feel like the commentary did what it should in kind of uh, expanding the the world of the movie and, and giving me a glimpse into the, the decision-making of the creative people who made it. And I appreciated that very much. Uh, we have been Josh and Dan. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. Our theme music is by Jonah Rapino. That's our show. And until next time... We'll see you in the special features. Goodbye.
1: I think it's fine. I think that if we end up with a whole bunch of episodes that we really like and we look back ashamed of that one, that can just, we can pretend it didn't happen.
0: Yeah. Or make jokes about it. it's or never of, mention
1: it again. It, it's kind of our cabin boy,
0: right? Sure. <laughs> Although I hope the repercussions are not are not similar. <laughs> I hope that is, and I hope that uh, I hope if that does happen that I that I get to be the Chris Elliott in that formula because oh, otherwise, you know, oof. you know, I,
1: you know, I'm the director who can never forgive himself. <laughs>
0: like shit then (laughs) you still do
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that really resonated with me